Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Eye on Foxborough, the premier podcast for all things New England Patriots. Brought to you by Mass Live. Welcome to the Eye on Foxborough podcast. I'm Karen Garigian, Mass Live's Patriots columnist, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by former Patriot Scott Zolak and 98.5 The Sports Hub co-host of Bertrand and Zolak. Hello, Zoe. How you doing, Karen? Good to talk to you. It's actually Zolak and Bertrand. Just just to make sure you know which name's first on air. I'm just did kidding. Did I really did I really do that? You said Bertrand and Zolak. So, I guess so what's I funny is with the radio aspect of it, it should be Beetle and Zoe. But that's radio, right. Maybe yeah. that's how I think of you. That's the way it should be. It should be Beetle and Zoe. He drives a bus. All right. Well, I don't know. I like listening to you too, too Scott. So <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. We're a couple of days out from the final game and we're kind of in a, in a holding pattern <laughs> uh, with regard to how the team is going to progress with or without Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's unusual that it's kind of taken a couple of days or like, who knows? What, what's your take on that? I mean, I mean, the league has changed so much over the years. And I go back uh, to when I first started, you know, obviously I had Coach Mack in my early days. I got drafted fourth round, uh, was that 1991? Ended up playing early in my career. Coach Mack got sick, then Dante took over. Dante Skarnecki was still, still a coach with us. You talk about good coaches back in the day. He became the interim head coach, and eventually we went to Bill Parcells. So, um you know, team ownership was different. Victor Kayam, then it was James Orthwine. And then obviously Mr. Kraft bought the team, you know, in the early, early to mid nineties when uh, Drew was our first draft pick. You go back to, I think 93 draft. He was a number one pick overall following year. I think Willie was the number fourth pick, which was actually Robert's first pick, first draft yeah. pick as an organization. And uh, it's funny how, 
you got to go all the way back to then to where we are now to think how we got to get back to relevancy. And, um, you know, Bob Sosi and I have been doing the games for 11 years. Um, I was fortunate enough to do some games, some years with Gil and Gino uh, at the end of their careers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they got to her late seventies, early eighties. And um, the best thing we've had was stable ownership, a great head coach of Bill Belichick, obviously Robert and Jonathan from the ownership standpoint. And I kept talking about even going back to Gil and Gino, we had two kickers during that time. We had Adam Vinatieri, and then we had Steven Gostowski. Uh, and basically, you had two quarterbacks. You had Drew Bledsoe, who I backed up for seven years, never got hurt until he broke his finger. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then he finally got the uh, collapsed lung when Brady got in. The rest is history. But you really only had two kickers, two quarterbacks during that stretch, and a great surrounding team. Um, and that's that's the toughest thing, calling games this year. Um, you know, when Tom left here, you know, over three years ago, what was the plan post Tom Brady? And I, and I think, I think a lot of people look at that now and think that, you know, that was the point where, where things really changed and, Mm. you know, the plan not to have somebody to succeed him, um, regardless of what happens here with Bill, we don't know. Um, uh, I love Bill Belichick. I do, I do stuff with him every week from the TV aspect, from the radio Mm. aspect. I had him in 96, 97, uh, my Super Bowl year. Uh, He was, he was, I think, assistant head coach. Al Grove was our coordinator. Parcells was the head coach. And I remember when I first signed with the Jets, when I left here in 98, I sat on a weight room bench with a long-haired Bill Belichick. Uh, Long, uh, that's right. Well, yeah. wherever we were with the New York Jets. And he had a he had a legal pad, the pencil behind his ear. We sat there for about three hours. When I first left New England, this is first day I met with the New York Jets. And we went over every single player, strengths and weaknesses. You talk about a guy that is uh, honed in, down to de- every single detail. And that's the biggest thing I appreciate about Bill to this day, where I'm a 55-year-old 50, guy now. And I'm talking about me as a, what, 20, 28, 29-year-old player at that time. He's the same guy. He's the same guy. He set, I think he sets the tone for the organization. Um, but times change, players change. And it's a different day and age. And, um, you know, I... I just appreciate the fact that that Robert and Jonathan have allowed him to do what he does for all this time. Who knows? He might be back. You know, as, as we talk here, it's very difficult for me to sit here with you. And you know, obviously, I've known you for a long time, and uh, you've covered the Patriots for a long time. But to talk about anything in the past tense, whether it's Tom, whether it's Gronk. Oh, hello, Karen. How are you? Hello. You're my best Rob Gronkowski impersonation. <laughs> He was so excited to see you when he was down in Tampa and you were on Zoom. I love that. <laughs> but um, you know, we've had we've had great players, we've had great coaching, and um things do come to an end. I mean, relationships relationships come to an end. And I don't know what the end is here. And yeah. there's moving parts, like a lot of people think, and I love Gerard Mayo. I know Gerard Mayo personally, I know Mike Frabel personally. As we do this uh podcast here today. Uh, as I'm doing my radio shows, radio shows I do each and every day for four hours. Mike Vrabel was talking about yesterday he wanted to be a Titan, and mm-hmm. were they going to trade him? Could you trade for Vrabel? Yeah. It was never in the equation. Now all of a sudden he got fired. Now he's in the equation, coming right. off uh, his induction in the Hall of Fame in October. Yeah, it it's I don't want to say it's crazy, but it but it the twists and turns now uh, are are incredible. But I do want to say this one thing. You know, people think it it's an easy decision for the crafts 
you know, to, to cut the cord with a coach, you know, after missing the playoffs three, three or four years and, and, you know, the talent pool not being as great. This is not an easy decision. No. You know, the man, the man won six Super Bowls and a lot of people want to give Tom Brady most of the credit and that's fine, but they'd be remiss to not include Bill Belichick in that mix. And that's why this is not an easy decision. It's not, it's not. And it's, it's, it's part of the bl not blame pie, but credit pie, right? When you look at a pie chart and uh, Jeff Benedict, who uh, has written a dynasty and he's covered a team. And I know Jeff pretty well. Yeah. That's something coming out on February uh, 16th. 16th. I think it is. Yep. 16th, yeah. Which really details everything about, you know, the last two decades. And, you know, Robert, I think genuinely, and I go back to that Super Bowl we had in Minnesota where the so-called palace queue was taking place where, you know, Tom was doing Tom versus time. Um, sorry about that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, he hurt the hand. Was he going to be able to play the Super Bowl? Mm -hmm. uh, the convictions of asking, you know, what am I doing this for? Um, mm -hmm. But to still be able to have that success, the drafting, you know, of Jimmy Garoppolo, which I do know probably bothered Tom because Bill mentioned, we know Tom's contract status. We know Tom's age and it's better to get ahead of it which I think really gave Tom a really good kick in the ass at the end. I don't know if they, I don't know if they win three Super Bowls at the end of the dynasty, if they don't draft Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I, there's a lot to look at here, but I, I do appreciate one thing Robert has always said. And I remember this from day one, you measure nine times you cut once. Hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's that, it's yeah. a big thing. I, you know, I, I measure two times I cut once and I still screw it up. So <laughs> Well, I, I do think Coach Belichick also uh, knows how to push some people's buttons. And I think he, he really knew how to push Tom, you know, whether it was drafting Garoppolo or cursing him out every single day. Uh, he had a keen sense of how to get the best out of people. And, you know, Brady was great, but I think he was made even greater because he had Belichick pushing him. That's just yeah, my. I, I've obviously kept in touch with Tom, but we have a really good relationship um, since he played post. He actually called me uh, two weeks ago. We went over calling games for, you know, try to pick my brain, you know, as he gets ready to do games for Fox. And uh, he spoke so highly of Bill as he has in any appearance where he's starting mm -hmm. to get choked up. And I think when you get older, you really look back and you appreciate you know, the time you had together, what made you great. Maybe you didn't realize it at that time. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's the toughest thing. But, um, you know, you live in an NFL locker room. And I'll go back to our early days where you got 53 different guys, 50, 53 different backgrounds. And I think uh, Coach Belichick really learned a lot from Coach Parcells. Parcells used to know how to press each guy's buttons. And some guys needed a kick in the ass. Some guys needed to be coddled. Some guys mm -hmm. you couldn't talk about, but I think Bill learned, Coach Belichick learned a lot from that, which has helped him to this day. And um, he's a tough guy to play for. He admits it. Parcells uh, was was miserable during the week. You couldn't wait to get the game day because mm -hmm. it felt like a relief because practices were miserable. And uh, I remember in the early days when uh, Mr. Kraft owned the team, and we'd be down at the state school and we'd be having practice, and then Mr. Kraft would show up down at the end of practice. And Parcells will look down. He's like, oh, 
gosh, here comes the order again, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, football coaches love doing football. And, yep. uh, but I think what Robert Kraft and his family learned from that transition from Parcells to Belichick to Pete Carroll, let's not forget about Pete Carroll. Yep. Um, you know, Pete, Pete had a tough time here because we had a loaded team. You look at those draft classes from 93, 94, 95, we were a loaded team. Um, and then Pete really never lost, but never really had to room because Parcells always had to room. It felt like the players were mm -hmm. sort of having the call of the team. You know, Bobby Greer was GM. There was a back door yep. upstairs. And that's, that's a hard thing moving forward because it's nice when somebody has total control because you always do where you stood. Like the one thing about Parcells and Belichick, they were, they would always tell you where you stood. And I think as players, you appreciated that. Hmm. Not that so, Pete didn't do that either. Pete did that too, but it was in a different, friendlier way, so to speak. So you're coaching Tom up on on being a broadcaster. I love that. Well, I'm I'm just amazed he's doing it, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to go in. I said the biggest thing you're gonna you're gonna find out these production meetings the day before. Everybody's gonna want to do story time with Tom Brady. And he goes, no, 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 we're gonna talk about them. I'm like, that's hard to do, buddy. I said, you're a different guy. You know, you're not Troy Aikman. Um, you're not, you're not um, Tony Romo. Uh, you're Tom Brady. But uh, the thing I appreciate about him, it's like the attention to detail. Same thing with Parcells, Belichick, Brady. He wants to attack this from having, talking to everybody. The fact he even called me, I do a radio call. I do a radio call for the home team, which is, you know, sort of a rah-rah type call. I said, you're down the middle and everybody is going to be hanging on every word you do. <laughs> well, good for him, you know. Um, let's, let's chat about Mike Rabel. Were you, were you surprised that the Titans let him go, especially a day after he said he wanted to, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, coach yeah. There? it's tough for me too. Cause I'm very good friends with John Robinson. Um, his daughter and my daughter got diagnosed with type one diabetes around the same time. So I developed a pretty good relationship with J Rob when he was here coming up through the system here. Right. Yeah. Monty Austin Ford and the way those guys developed along with Ziegler, all these guys, like I know all these guys and the whole AJ Brown thing. And um, you know, the way that ended, how he got let go. And then that's a tough thing. When you pick a coach, you got to have, you got to have the same vision with the GM. Yeah. So I'm not for some of these teams that love to hire a GM, then hire a coach and force these guys to work together. I think it's about the vision, but I, I think variables great. You know, former player, uh, three-time champion here. Um, I was sort of taken aback because I didn't know, you know, how that induction was going to go in October. Because mm -hmm. normally we do these inductions in, in August and that has sort of changed where everybody fills up, you know, the the stands or, or the steps over there in front of the old CBS scene and it becomes a day, you know, in preseason. But uh, the way, you know, the fans and I think the people that cover the team gravitated towards him, and Mike's sort of a prickly guy, but mm -hmm. to see him get emotional and come back and talk to everybody and see Scar come out and to see Coach Belichick talk about him. Um, you were there. You were at the ceremony, correct? I was there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was. So yeah. to, to hear Bill, and that's that's the toughest thing is like these press conferences. We don't get the real Bill. You know, yeah. I, I've known Bill, you know, since the mid 90s. And when you get the real Bill and you start talking about football stories and him telling the stories about weigh ins yeah. and that, like that's the real Bill Belichick and, you know, Vrabel and him going back and at it at practice. Same thing with Brady. Um, Vrabel's, Vrabel's such like such a good fit to be 
potentially a coach here, but I never considered it because why would Tennessee ever freaking get rid of it? Why would you ever get rid of Mike Vrabel? When you look at some of these coaches and some of these coordinators that have no experience, you know, Mike's, Mike's been a player. He won championships, multi-championships. He went to Ohio State. He coached at Ohio State. He coached under Billy O'Brien at Houston. He, he worked alongside Romeo Cornell, one of my favorite coaches of all time. Um, yeah. And then he won two playoff games. How about the clock management against Bill? here in Foxborough, like oh, yeah. that car Bill sleep. Like that's yeah. a really good coach. Like Mike's a damn good coach. Good guy. Like we, we do those joint practices. I observe a lot, you know, when we're not talking football or we're watching, but to see the amount of guys like Brady or Bill stop and just talk to Mike for hours and hold our buses up or yeah. play Texans. <laughs> that doesn't happen anywhere else, you know, because they love Mike. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to throw out a kind of a general question. Sure. Say if somehow the, the Patriots head coach is vacant, say they move on from Bill, talk about any anyone out there. Do you think that the, the Patriots job now is as, an, as attractive to a candidate as it was in the past or with time moving on, might people hesitate to want to come and coach in New England? Good question, Karen. I think in years past, we've always had what 30th, 31st, 32nd pick or drafted yeah. Americans, drafted McCordy. Like, who the hell are these guys were drafted? Then you had yeah. to pick on them. Um, right now, you got high draft picks, you got a lot of cap money, and you mm -hmm. got an owner that is passionate to win and concerned about the brand, the product. Um, you know, when we travel and we look at other stadiums. And like I said, I observe a lot. And I watch some ownership groups come through on game day and they got all their friends there. Um, Robert cares, Jonathan cares. Um, you know, they were passionate about buying his team. And I, I go back to when Sam Jankovic, uh, we were, we were practicing in the old bubble. This is back in 92 when I took over for Hugh Millen and same. You same had a bubble. You actually had bubble. a bubble. It's the old half, half filled bubble by the trailer. Yeah. Park. And Sam Jankovic brought the long haired, brown-haired guy to the bubble and introduced him to me. I was a quarterback at the time. I won those two games. I did. I won those two. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But uh, he said, hey, this is a this is a super fan. His name's Robert Kraft. And he's a big business guy. And mm -hmm. I shook his hand that time. And uh, he said, at some point, he's going to want to own his team. And mm -hmm. short enough, yeah, owns the team, builds Patriot plays, bought the Patriots for what they were. We know what they're worth now. But again, to think that this guy doesn't want to do it the right way, it's not about just hiring a sexy name. You got to make sure you hire the right guy. You know, yeah. you've had the right guy for 24 years, uh, whether coach is still here or whether he's not. Um, that it's, it's tough for me because uh, great relationships do come to an end. You know, yeah. Tom was here forever. I never wanted Tom Brady to leave here. I never want Bill Belichick to leave here. I never want Robert Kraft or Jonathan Kraft to not own his team. Yeah. Uh, but I know they'll do the right thing. That's, that's the one thing they'll, they'll, they're smart people. They got a lot of smart people. You look at their businesses and the way they run them. Um, they don't, what they, what, what I do know that they don't like is quick change, just to make a change, to make a change and to be irresponsible about it. You, you know? mean be David Tepper? You mean? <laughs> How about that, huh? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Three coaches in four years, I think that is. Yeah, and I, I, like I said, I had, I had crazy ones before Robert. I was in Miami when Heisinga. Uh, was the oh. owner down there, and then oh. and then you go on the road in Miami, you see Mr. Ross in, the, in an elevator by himself. Like that doesn't happen here, you know. Robert's, yeah. Ro I think Robert and Jerry 
Jerry Jones, bringing up mm-hmm. the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, those are the two prominent owners. I know everybody likes to bring up the Raiders and Mark Davis and that, but yeah, you look at the way Jerry and Robert run things, and uh, especially the Mars too, the uh, Tish and Mara family with the Giants. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm a Pittsburgh guy. I grew up in Pittsburgh. The Rooneys and how they've been able to do it. The stability. Yeah. You know, Chuck Knoll, uh, you know, uh, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. Three coaches in how many years? You talk yeah. about decades. That's how you do it. You know, you, you talked about, about, you know, having to make the right decision. I think that also applies to the number three pick that they have. Um, yeah. What would you like to see the Patriots do with that pick? And, and you know, what is the right pick? See, it's, it's tough for me because I know, I know that, you know, when we weren't good, you know, my rookie draft class, we had Pat Harlow and Leonard Russell as our first-round picks. And those mm-hmm. are guys who are instantaneous plug-and-play starters. Yeah. Um, I've watched a lot of college football this year. I have. And this is the funny thing. I fell in love with Michael Penix Jr. I've watched yeah. a lot of his games this year. Then you watch a Michigan game. You say, you yeah. sure you want that guy as your starter? Yeah. But, you know, I, I watched a kid down in Carolina, May. Um, seems a little stiff to me. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Williams has been a fantastic player for years, but then you got to worry about the external drama and everybody right. having their hands in it with him and the way things have sort of played out. You know, asked me a year ago and I'm saying, take Caleb Williams. If you ask right. me right now, you're sitting there at three and Marvin Harrison Jr. is available, you jump on him. Yeah. You jump on him or let's wait and see what the Bears do at number one. Maybe they like Fields. Like, I remember that game, that Monday night game with Justin Fields a year ago here. And to watch him at field level and to see the size of him and to think, man, there's something there with this guy. You could develop it. What if they take Harrison at one? And I'm yeah, like, that that's going. that's all in the realm right and there. Then, and then you got to remember San Francisco, you know, they traded three number one picks to get up to three to take, you know, Trey Lance. The wrong guy. But supposedly they love Mac Jones, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned Penix. Is there anybody else in there you'd like? Whether the Patriots get him early or in another round or move up late in the first round or move down, to, you know, is there somebody else that, that piques your interest? Um, you know, the problem for me is I, I, I haven't watched Jane Daniels play much at LSU. Yeah, my, me either. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to start, I'm going to start digging into that film because it's going to be a big spring for us for the radio side with the draft coming. And I need to study that more. But uh, I've seen Caleb play. I've seen Drake play. I'm not blown away by Drake, Drake May. Yeah. Um, I was kind of all in on Penix. Then you see him play a great team in Michigan. And like, okay, things aren't lined up right. Then that's what happens. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to put everything into one game. And that's the risk of the quarterback is things aren't always going to be perfect. You you know, look at it here with Mack and, and Bailey. Uh, you look at the journey Bailey's been on where you got released early in the year. You go back to last March, I think there were 21 or 22 transactions at the quarterback position which tells you here we're not solid at one we're not solid at two we're not solid at three which makes you scratch kind of scratch your head for for a guy like mac jones going into his third year and i'm not totally sold on trevor lawrence you know you're three you're the number one pick they they got him a lot of help like you take mac jones and put him in trevor lawrence's situation or you take mac and put him out in san francisco maybe it's a different story yeah uh, by the way, uh, we had Dion Branch on last week, and he agrees with you about Marvin Harrison, just so you know that. See, that's, uh, I, I just say that because day one starter, that's a 10-year yeah. starter. He's going to be an all-pro guy from day one. 
Mm. Uh, I either go him or the tackle alt from Notre Dame. And I played the dad. <laughs> okay. Um, That's a scary thing is all these kids coming out, like Asante's kid, Patrick Sertan's kid. I was, I was with, I was with uh, Sertan down in uh, Miami and all these kids are coming through now, which makes me really. <laughs> Do you think uh, getting, just getting back to the quarterbacks or the Patriot quarterbacks, I've had somebody tell me this too, that they think it was a bit remiss not having a veteran quarterback in that room. Do you agree or disagree with that? I think sometimes it's underrated and I think sometimes it's overrated because once you get into the game, you're sort of honed in and you got the horse blinders and it's about you and the offensive coordinator. But I do think during the week, there's a lot of things that fly, especially when you have a very, uh, uh, bearing head coach who really weighs hard on you. Like, so for instance, when we have Parcells, I'll give you an example. Chris Palmer and Ray Perkins were really good quarterback um, um, offense coordinators. And, you know, I really helped Drew through a lot of things early when Bill would ride him pretty hard. I'm like, hey, you can't worry about this. You got to worry about that. Um, I don't know how much young guys listen to the older guys, but I, I know Brian Horner was a great guy. Uh, I thought he was a great guy to have around. Something happened last year, you know, after the concussion, which led him to go make more money elsewhere. But um, I do think it's valuable to have that guy around, but I do think it's got to be a good room. I don't think, I don't think you could have a room where, you know, going back to my 10 years, we ate, we ate, slept, drank together. Our families hung out together. We went to dinners together. We're in at 6 a.m. And if you don't get along and if no one's talking to each other, that's going to be very problematic, not only for your quarterback room, but for the offense. And that's where the offense becomes divided. Mm. Do you, how do you see it playing out with Mac and or Zappi, or does it depend on who's coaching next year, whether either stays or either one goes? Uh, I do think Mac's contract is very attractive, you know, sitting there, what, 2.75? Yeah. Keep him or whether you look at a team like San Francisco and says, Hey, we'll give you a fourth round pick. We want him to be our backup. The party we will develop him. And eventually Mac will be the starter. I do think Mac could play this league. Um, and that's a tough thing calling games. Cause you got to call it like you see it when things are good. They're good. And I remember Max rookie year and he extended plays. He and Jacoby Myers had a rhythm together. Uh, you know, and then you change the offense a year ago, you go to West coast offense. And I played, in Josh McDaniel's offense, Ron Earhart's, uh, Ray Perkins, who I mentioned. And I know all the terminology. It's a difficult offense. It's extremely difficult when Mac handled his rookie year. And then to really sort of dumb it down that second year and sort of streamline it, you know, where you don't have the chance to, you know, change protections at the line uh, to get out of a bad play. Uh, I think it put him in a bad spot. And then, then it got up here mentally as I tapped my head. Yeah. Um, but I do think a new place, a fresh start, really help him i do and i i don't think bailey's a future but i do mm -hmm. think bailey provided a spark and i you could see bailey's pocket presence it's different than max and for sure you know yeah. when you know you've been cut twice and you're on a practice squad you weren't active in the vegas game you just let it fly there's a lot of pressure mac had to deal with you know mm -hmm. you're following tom brady you're the 15th pick you beat out cam newton um you got a good rookie year I thought he I thought he came to Buffalo that that playoff game was ready to go. The rest of the team wasn't. Um, and that's sort of the start where things trended downward after that playoff game. Mm. Um, but all things being equal, you you think there is a need for them to 
bring in another quarterback, whether it's via the draft or free oh, agent. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. yeah. But I don't Wait. know what guy. That's the problem. Like, yeah, it's not my job, but, you know, do you go out and get a guy like Baker Mayfield? Do you get a Kirk right. Cousins and draft a guy? Or do you draft Harrison? Do you draft that tackle at the top? You know, you're sitting there, second pick, second round. Do you slide back up into the first round if somebody falls? It's going to be interesting to see where the run on a quarterback start. You know, you got right. three, three off the board, top three. You know, I almost see think either Chicago will take Harrison there, or they'll trade down with someone who wants to make sure that they get Caleb Williams. Yeah, and you know they'll get more assets, and yeah. maybe they'll get Harrison to boot. And you know, you really have to look at what yeah. San Francisco got at long haul. You have to look at like, you know, how did Miami secure Tyree Kill and the amount of collateral you need in those type of trades. Yeah. Uh, how do you not have your phone on a top three pick Here oh. we are another year later, which means you're going to even get more than what those guys got three years ago. Finally. So which uh, obviously the Patriots have a ton of in-house free agents or guys that are headed to free agency. Um, who do they in your mind absolutely need to resign and bring back? The players that jumped out to me and um, just knowing them personally too. I think Duggar. Duggar's like Patrick Chung, you know, Patrick Chung in his early days had some issues when elsewhere came back and it was the perfect chap Patrick Chung. And I think Duggar's morphed into Chung and yep. um, uh, Michael Wenu, no doubt, you know, he's built to play guard, but I think it's perfect for him at guard. I remember, you know, Joe Tooney here at left guard, he ended up getting paid, um, you know, and to see how he kicked outside meeting a Wenu and yeah. playing along city. So, and David Andrews, um, you know, we're talking about young guys here, but I, I, first of all, I'd sign Andrews back. You got to find a way to convince David Andrews. Uh, and I know there's no guaranteed money on his contract next year, but you got to find a way to extend this guy. Never miss yep. a snap. He's the ultimate patriot. You need him because Slater is going to be departing. Um, and I'll have something quick on Slater here before we go, but mm -hmm. uh, you got to get Andrews back uh, to see, solidify that right side of the line. I thought so. And when were really good on the right side. Left I up in the air. Um, Christian Barmore, when he's healthy, you can't block him. He's dominant. Uh, you know, you're going to have Christian Gonzalez. Um, I like what I've seen about uh, from Jennings. Anthony mm -hmm. Jennings. Uh, go to all the way he's back. really there. come on. Yeah. I talked about this with Bob. Like, he exploded on the camp practices, the, the, the joints we saw him in, and his play never dipped. Um, it's almost like the, the light bulb came on. Pretty this year, yep. you know exactly. Uh, peppers, I, yeah, I, I yep. just leadership, everything the way he's played. You know, you're missing that from McCordy. I think Peppers brings a lot of that. Uh, I love Jonathan Jones. Um, trying to think here more, you put me on the spot. I bring back Kendrick Bourne, yeah, I would too. Something happened with Kendrick Bourne this year where last year was not good for whatever reason. You saw how critical yep. Troy was of the offseason last year. Something clicked with Kendrick Bourne this year, and he was trending well prior to that Miami injury. Yeah. I think I think he wants to be here. You have to have guys that want to be here. Right. You, that's part of it. It's not just about the money. It's, you know, I like it here. I want to play here. Hmm. I bring well, back Zeke. I bring back Zeke, too. If oh, I would, too. Yeah. And he's a number. And that's another thing. We, You know, I talked to James White about this. I saw him at the stadium. I go, can you believe we don't have a third down back? He goes, no. Mm -hmm. You need a change up. 
you know, every team has that change up bat. Maybe you bring back a, a fullback too, yeah. you know, regardless of what your offense is going to be. They definitely missed that element, the, the third down back, you know, I, I mean, I, I mean, Ramondre and Zeke were kind of interchangeable, but oh, you yeah. still, you still need the guy who's going to, you know, catch the ball on third down, no matter what. Sure. Kevin Falk, James White, yeah. Shane Vereen. We always had those guys. And that's the one thing, you know, about this team looking over the years, whether it was defense, whether it was offense, whether it was Matt Light, and then you drafted Nate Soldier. You always had a plan after the starters were ready to go. You know, yeah. there was always a backup. There was the Vereen, like you mentioned, Vereen. It was James White next. You don't have that now. And that's yeah. the succession plan. So, four or five win team. Yeah. Is there a succession plan for Matthew Slater? <laughs> who might, uh, may or may not retire, although it sure looks that I way. Like school, I think I think Schooler's got to get his emotions in check. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think something is there with Brendan Schooler. And, um, you know, I talked to Tasker when we were up in Buffalo, and I said, man, you started this all with Slater, and I'm going to finish this up here with Slater. Mm -hmm. uh, I do some things in the offseason, um, you know, on players' days off on Tuesdays, uh, whether it's like a YMCA banquet whether it's handing out turkeys at Thanksgiving, uh, whether it's Habitat for Humanity, whether it's, you know, the Rapapat at Christmas. And to see Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, and David Andrews, and I've covered this team a long time, there's no three better representatives for the organization on the field, more so off the field than as human beings. Um, hmm. And that's the toughest thing, seeing Matthew go. And that's why I don't want David to go. I didn't know Devin was going to go. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep a couple of those guys around. Uh, they're special. Matthew Slater is a special person. Yeah. I totally agree. Thank you, Zoe. Thank uh, you, Zolak. It's good to Zolak. see you. Zolak and Bertrand. I'll get that right. Don't worry. Thanks, Zoe. Hey, you're one of the best in the business. Congratulations on your award this year. I appreciate everything you do. This has been Ion Foxborough, brought to you by Mass Live.